something you just would never be able to imagine somebody would be able to do. That one day they'd wake up and they'd say, on New Year's tonight, when that clock hits midnight, for the next two years, nobody can record music. At least not professionally, I guess. See, nowadays we have ways to get around that. That wasn't the case in 1942. And then again, in 1948. We're not covering a particular musician today because we're covering a large gap in our musical history. Several years missing. A lot of good artists were highly affected by this era. We're going to cover a couple uh, pretty important topics and how it really affected everybody in the end. Thank you for tuning in to our final episode of our first season. Thank you for listening to Dude Check Out the Song. I'm Ian. And I'm Pat. As mentioned, we're covering the recording strikes of 42 and 48. This is a pretty, a pretty a bold one. thing. Pretty bold thing yeah. for them to do. Well, <laughs> this was a weird one to research, too. On August 1st, 1942, recording studios in the United States became strangely silent. The inactivity was not due to wartime involvement, but from the decisions of the members of the American Federation of Musicians to refuse employment from recording companies. God damn. And it, like, literally everybody. How do you call Practically everybody. Well, yeah, exactly. You had to be part of the union, but. Yeah, any. I mean, that's what we covered this in the Woody Guthrie episode as well. The whole union aspect. This is kind of the other end of it. Hopefully, uh, the governor didn't shoot everyone here, did they? Um, I don't know. Let me consult my notes. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll get to where the governor shoots <laughs> yeah. everyone later. No, nothing like that happens. So I guess we need to talk about where the whole union got started. And it actually got started early on in music, like at least recorded music. The National Musicians Union got started in 1889. Wow. Well, this yeah. is like, this is a whole different thing, though. Like, you kind of got to cover the fact that it's, you know, this is minstrels. This is people playing in taverns. I guess a union is. time, yeah, it's, jazz. It's more applicable to have a union at that point. And it wasn't even like a national union. It was just seven major cities that formed. They formed the union, and it was called the National League of Musicians of the United States. Sounds like a baseball league. Not. <laughs> I think that they should make like a but music this wasn't baseball even, league. This wasn't even an actual national league. It was just the formation of these seven unions, local yeah. unions. And so. And they just all kind of merge together or work co-optively. Or... Yeah. And so in 1887, the American Federation of Labor invited the NLM to affiliate. But many musicians considered themselves to be professionals having little in common with labor. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of the more the mentality we have nowadays, too. Yeah, well... Not we. (laughs) I I play metal. I gotta carry large, heavy amps. (laughs) I do some laboring before I get on stage. But the union really didn't get a whole lot of following until 1901 when Nicholas Weber became its president. And under his leadership... He uh, increased the membership, expanded the powers, and improved working conditions, and it grew to be the most powerful unions in the music labor. But, and I got to mention this guy early, James Petrillo. I got that right? Yeah, it's Petrillo. Petrillo, damn. Yeah, like like oh, Trillo. Fuck like this guy's name. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. I, I did all my research with that pronunciation in my mind and then finally found some well, that's, source material that that's really how, gave me the pronunciation. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> well, that's how I did all the research. It's still stuck in my head. Yeah. So uh, It's all right. Bugs Bunny sent me straight. <laughs> so he joined the American Federation of Music. 
the Chicago chapter Local 10 in 1918, and then four years later became its president. And for nearly 18 years, he served as president of the Chicago Local 10. And I only mention this because it seems like the appropriate place to put this because you guys really need to get James Petrillo? Petrillo. Petrillo. Petrillo, Petrillo. In, in your head, <laughs> as I apparently need yes. to pronounce his name correctly all throughout this podcast. <laughs> at least at least most of it, please. <laughs> in 1940, he was elected the union's national president, and so this guy grew fast. Yeah. I just had to get that in there because he kind of is an important role throughout this whole talk, and so I got to kind of mention his street cred there. Yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this gentleman later, too. But really, we need to start talking about the reasons why the band happened. So on November 2nd, 1920, KKDA, acknowledged by many to be the first broadcast station, signed on the air to report the Harding-Cox presidential results. Wait, so they're the first radio station? Or the that first? They're acknowledged to be the first. So there could have been another one, maybe some pirated stuff. I don't yeah, know. yeah, but they're, they're the first official like record recorded Yep. Radio station. That's as far cool. as anybody can figure out. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So by 1926, the first commercial radio network had been formed. Oh, of course, right away. Yeah. And then, of course, the government's got to get in it, and Congress established federal control over the radio in 1928 and formed the Federal Radio Commission. And, you know, it regulated the broadcast industry and was then later turned into the Federal Communications Commission that old FCC. <laughs> yeah, in 1934. So Ooh, that's we we all know that, that those three letters. Uh well, if you work on the radio, you definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> but Petrillo was one of the first to believe that radio broadcasting was actually an enemy of musicians. Yeah, so, I mean that's this starts to be a theme as oh, we yeah, get into this. Oh yeah. This is definitely a big theme. I mean, cuz at first musicians believed radio to be a friend. They were heard on the radio in the early 1920s, performing without salary, but the publicity was considered adequate compensation. Oh, yes, of course. The old will pay in publicity. Pay in exposure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, not, that's, that's probably as old as time, I would say. Uh, pretty much since recorded music. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, even probably before recorded music, I'm pretty sure some tavern guy was like, hey, you, you know, you, I'm not going to pay you, but you can play your flute in here. Yeah. <laughs> <Like, laughs> So eventually the radio industry had established itself as profit making and they found they could play recordings on air and avoid paying live musicians, you know, basically just kind of like, Hey, we're just going to use your material for free. Yeah. Even when they did play a recording, they didn't tell the audience that they were playing recordings. And so they're just kind of being weaselly about it, you know? So it's kind of an expectation where they're thinking they're listening to it live, but really it's just another fucking record scratching. Like, yeah, and so this prompted some complaints among the union in 1930, and so they started pressuring recording companies to start labeling their records for home use only in an attempt to stop the songs from being played on the radio. Good old for home use only. And they agreed upon this because I imagine the record companies might be taking a hit since nobody's buying records or listening to the radio. Yeah. But... The government decided that this couldn't be legally enforced, so the agreement never worked out. <laughs> oh, 
what a surprise. Yeah, well, in 1937, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that performing artists did have property right to their rendition of their work, and it might restrict the use of their rendition if they played on the radio. And so the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that commercial use of these songs would constitute unfair competition with the artists who wrote them. And so they won that. Fucking Pennsylvania. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well. I don't, I don't, I've never found a reason to say that yet in my whole <laughs> life. So uh, we're kind of far away from Pennsylvania. So fucking Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl anymore. Go football team. so you guys couldn't hear the icy glare i was just giving ian for mentioning football on this podcast (laughs) fuck you it's my podcast too i can mention whatever i want (laughs) this is not dude check out your sports whatever (laughs) that's another podcast i'll release later yeah exactly ian's morning sports talk (laughs) it's really going to be done at night though yeah, and I'll still be there. I just I didn't I don't know anything about sports. It's going to be a great show. <laughs> but of course, in 1940, the U.S. Supreme Court reached a contrary decision, which basically overturned all of that. God damn it! Yeah. Well, and I got to mention Petrillo again. He demonstrated the power of a boycott in 1936 as president of the Chicago Union. And he ordered the Chicago musicians to stop making records and transcriptions. The meeting resulted in agreements where the radio networks and their affiliates agreed to retain a quota of musicians as full-time employees. And this was a big thing they argued during the actual strike of 42 was to get full-time employees on these radio networks. Because it just seemed like they were, you know, using whoever and then basically taking the music rights of these artists without ever paying them. And so they were like, well, if you're not going to pay them, give them a fucking job. Well, I found evidence of them having like full on orchestras for each like a radio station. Like they were hosting full on orchestras. Oh, yeah. Conductors. Yep. I have like... that in my notes later, so I can mm-hmm. scratch that one off the list right now. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you take my research? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we looked into the same event. I know. Weird. Actually, that was going to be my next uh, point. (laughs) (laughs) A moment of silence for Ian's research. Well, I had to look and then I read it and I was like, ah, how am I going to talk about this one? Well, yeah. Okay. So they did record a remote broadcast of live orchestras were performing in clubs and restaurants and they didn't pay anybody for it. So, yeah. I mean, like they that's, just, yeah, if you yeah. don't pay them, that's not a job. You know what I mean? And so like, they, they got, uh, and so the artists didn't get paid for anything and the radio stations, you know, got advertising money and all that kind of crap. The radio stations were always making money. That's what they were for. Uh, well, hopefully not anymore. Isn't yeah. that Spotify now? I mean, well, I don't know. I think radio stations have to make enough money to be around now, but I, I'm sure it's not nearly as lucrative as it used to be. If yeah. anybody works in the radio industry out there, let us know. But I'm, I think I already know the answer to that. It's got to be a grim territory. Well, I went on to uh, 99.9 over the summer. Yeah, it's like a local rock station for anyone who is not yeah. from this, the Northwest area, and specifically it, Seattle. And almost all of the uh, local Seattle radio stations were in one building. In fact, the same floor. Oh, that's pretty rough. All of the local stations. Yeah, are and so you had you had like thing. you had like the country room and like the ninety nine point nine room, which I was in, the one hundred seven point seven room, and they were all in the same place. It was that's fucking weird. rough. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I don't think they're making the same kind of money. Yeah, no, 
because then they used to have like big buildings with like marquees and shit that said, you know, like this is the rockinest rock. I don't know. This is the rockinest rock. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't around in the, at the times when the radio was really popular, so I can't really. Uh... You were around. I mean, radio didn't stop becoming popular until probably what, like ten years ago. Okay, well, but you know what I mean. Like it's <laughs> in the seventies. I think we just didn't listen to the 50s. radio because we had CD players in our cars and found stuff we like more. Yeah, well, fifties, sixties, and seventies, I would say, is really like the prime radio yeah. era. And you know, I'm not that old, so. Oh, you look it. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I'm spicy tonight. Yeah, I'm fucking medium spicy. <laughs> So in 1941, the AFM ordered musicians to not work on cooperatively sponsored radio programs, and that order remained in effect till 1947. So a lot of these radio stations had to substitute vocal choirs for instrument music, or they just didn't play music anymore. Wait, so there's another exception? Like, so it's it's they they're the exception they could sing vocals, but you can't apparently, put no instruments on there. Apparently. For this strike in this union, singers were not considered instruments, <laughs> except for like apparently like uh, Frank Sinatra and those kind of guys. They recorded just with like acapella stuff, right? Acapella. Yeah, but that was how they skirted the rules. Yeah, exactly. And so, like anything where the music was created by vocals, it seemed like was just like a no go. So if you were vocalizing, like not just singing words, if yeah, you were singing like notes, barbershop quartets, maybe. Huh, that's, yeah. that's kind of weird. And, and that's where I didn't put a ton of this in my notes because it was like, yeah, uh, anything with vocals isn't considered uh, music except for certain examples that, you know, they were part of the, the union. So it just, some of it didn't make any sense to me, so I didn't try and get too hard into it. Yeah. It just seemed like whoever was making money, it was just like, okay, you're now considered a musician. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like they gave certain exceptions for yeah. certain things. It doesn't make sense to us culturally right now, but it probably made a lot more sense if you like looked at it like the way the advertisements were done and stuff. Yeah. Because if you think about it back then, they were still having a lot of singing advertisements that were done live on the air and, and things like that. So it weirds me out that singers weren't considered musicians for the most part. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's it's very strange because that's yeah, still well, music. If you're well, singing, singing is music. You and, know then, I mean? and then I guess a big reason why there's so much more vocalization in music today is in due partly to this band because singers were still allowed to perform for the most part. So it made vocalized music more popular? Well, probably because people were still trying to buy records. And so, you know, if you got vocalized music and that's all you can find, you know, yeah, that's what you start to get into. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, there's there's some evidence that there was some like pretty big contention about like you know new music and people thought it was going to be a big thing, but by the yeah. time that you know, well, and apparently the Forty Eight band even more contributed to singers getting a bigger role in music. Oh yeah, we'll talk about the Forty Eight band is a whole nother thing, and that's a later subject. They really they they kind of shaft themselves pretty so <laughs> pretty hard with this. <laughs> Oh, I look forward to that then. Well, and so the AFM started going harder after the radio. Really, it was Petrillo. He had this belief that whenever an amateur musician occupies the air, it means less work for a professional. Well, we got kind of an asshole spotlight on this move right here. Yeah. <laughs> In July 1942, he ordered the broadcast of the National High School Orchestra canceled. 
Dude, you don't cancel high school orchestras. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> nope, that's amateur. It's taking professional work. <laughs> the concert was an annual event that involved 160 youths from a nationally focused summer music camp in Michigan. Oh, what's the year on this? <laughs> uh, 1942, just right yep. before the band yeah, dude, in the, July. Dude, okay, so he starts to skyrocket to popularity nationwide, and I, I, I found a lot of evidence of this. Like he's yeah. well known in a lot of pop culture that we're gonna cover in just a couple seconds here. Oh, cool. I mean, this, if anything, this guy just gets an asshole spotlight just for fucking with these high school kids who want to play music. Yeah, there's a couple other things. Yeah, well, I got another one here. Petrillo also liked to use a tactic that was called standby. So whenever amateurs or non-union musicians performed on the radio, the stations were required to pay musicians to merely be present or standby. Wait, so if an amateur played on the radio, they had to have a professional waiting and being paid? Yep, even if he didn't even play. What? That's, yeah. That would be a great job. Yeah, yeah. I'm a hey. badass musician. I'm just hanging out here. If that kid fails, I'm going to go in there and just shred it. Hey, dude, I need you to go down to this radio station and get paid for music. All right, let me grab my guitar. No, 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 no. You don't need that. Yeah, no, there, there's somebody who's going to play on the air. You just got to be there just in case. So the, this is one of the things. They start to put together like a very stupid set of like status quo attempted like weird like musician I can't even explain it. It's like a sub-law or what? something. You it know what I mean? Like some weird to... union power tripping going on, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a the strangest well, I get rules, wanting to, though. I get wanting to pay musicians, but yeah, we all... it should be all musicians, even non-union musicians and amateurs. Because let's, let's be honest, if you're 16 and making money, how awesome would that shit be? And how much more would you want to play music? Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I get that, you know. We really don't put enough of our society into actual art versus, like, consumer art. I, I don't want to get too political with it or anything like that, but <laughs> it would be great if we, you know, helped people who wanted to produce good music at, in their youth, you know what I mean, and well, consider that, it as a viable career I think that rather would, than using, you know, people as, like, pop stars and things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I think that would require local movements of music and art and stuff like that to... Well, I don't want to talk about yeah. it. But. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll maybe get into that in the future. There's a there's a lot of little nuances that affect this, and we'll actually be talking about a lot more of this by the end of the episode, I guess, too. Well, and so one of these insta insta instances of standby was uh, when eight Chinese Boy Scouts wanted to proclaim the arrival of a giant panda in the United States with a hail of bugle blasts. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> So some Chinese kids wanted to play bugles while yep. a panda got here. Uh, well, in celebration, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Petrillo insisted that eight professional musicians also be hired as standbys. <laughs> <laughs> some kids just wanted to go. Dude, this, and, and this he makes said, sense why they know him countrywide. That is just some, <laughs> that is some big old asshole I just, spotlight. I right had there. to throw that in because I just thought it was funny. And so Petrillo and the union became even more pissed off with the radio and the recording industry with modern technology that accelerated the pace and nudged live musicians out of more jobs. The need for live musicians diminished as the popularity of music and films increased. Jukeboxes replaced musicians in cafes, clubs, and restaurants. Vaudeville was declining. And more and more people were just staying home to listen to the radio instead of going out and listening to live music. Yeah. In the band in Chicago, 
in the 1930s. It had lasted 18 months and cost the union members a quarter of a million dollars in wages. A quarter of a million dollars in wages in, in the 1930s. Yeah, like yeah. that's fucking ridiculous. In 1942, the music industry doubted that Petrillo would actually go through with the strike because they figured the cost would be too much. You know, so oh, this guy, this guy doesn't give a fuck about the cost. Like, uh, it doesn't matter what you feel about his actions. So that's one thing that he displays clearly. He, oh yeah, he he slashes with no care for actually what's going on. <laughs> and so, nevertheless, on August first, 1942, everybody stopped recording. And when the ban had taken effect, the recording companies obviously thought they could outweigh the musicians. You know, they had vast stocks of unreleased recordings. And, you know, they figured they could just slowly release these until the musicians union gave in. And that lasted for 13 months for them releasing unreleased material. So they obviously thought that this was, you know, this was the checkmate move. Like, come on, dude. You've had a year of nothing. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the recording studios really show a lot of tactical acumen with their moves during all of this. Or maybe just, um, yeah, we got too much money. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, no, exactly. They also have like a a big fat white guy smoking a cigar like kind of thing going on. I'm not going to get into that. We'll probably get into that maybe a couple seasons from now. But there's a... There is a definite air of kind of know what's going on and there's nothing you can do about it situation going in the oh, underlying. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, like if, if we're really going to start talking about this, we've talked about this guy so far, so many times, Petrillo, Petrillo, Petrillo. James Petrillo, he was born in 1980 or 1892, excuse me, not 1982. Young guy. Yeah, he's really young. I mean, he, he's he's done a lot for his age. But he he actually lived up until 1984, though. Oh, really? Yeah. So he 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 lived a very long time. Well, he probably got all that you know tasty union money. Yeah. Well, this is I mean just to give a point of view, like he's born before 1900. He's on TV playing next to by far the worst rendition of any musical thing I've ever heard with a president. What What? is it, Truman? Truman Truman on a a piano. I forgot about that. And fucking (laughs) Truman couldn't play piano for shit either. Okay, Truman's not always bad. I actually found some other videos where Truman plays piano and it's it's good. But maybe he was just out of practice. Either in front of apparently you can't play the piano a whole lot when you're uh, the president of the United States. Either way, it's uh, he's definitely out of practice. And then the yeah, okay, never mind. And then someone else. And then the mediocre trumpet really didn't. Didn't play up. You you think yes. Petrillo as a as the leader of the musicians' union? Well, he started out as yeah, a musician, exactly. And so, really, he did definitely start out as a musician. I mean, though technically, he was already elected to the Chicago Union by 1922, so yep. as, as their uh, as their like official president. So he was involved in the union as early as he is really confirmed to be a musician. It kind of seems like getting involved with the union was almost a I can't be a successful musician, so I'm going to be in charge of successful musicians <laughs> sort of situation. I'm going to make money in the music industry somehow. Yeah, like I'm going to I'm going to get down on this guy and I'm going to really uh I'm going to really be in charge of him because I can't rock the way he does. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that like is really starts to become evident is he becomes a national figure and really plays it up. I think he probably got a lot of national spotlight because of the way he acted. So wait, the one little snippet of him being the asshole spotlight, you've got more of that? Oh my god. Well, we'll get there. He earns his asshole spotlight by the end. They don't call it the Petrillo bands for nothing. 
Wait, what? Yeah. So the people of this time call it the Patrillo Bands. Oh, really? It's gone so far that this man has made the bands his own name, and he is single-handedly taking the you know work back for the musician taking the power man. back. Yeah. yeah. So he's 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 fighting the man for the musician, but to be completely honest, he is so misguided and doesn't even he's unaware of it yet. Well, one thing we should note that I don't think we've even mentioned yet is mainly big band stuff like. The type of music that was really making the money. Big band type stuff, you know, crooners. They they were expecting people to have 30 to 40 musicians on staff as an orchestra and instructors and support staff and on top of big stars. Then they were supposed to have like big star, like singers and things like that. Like Frank Sinatra. Exactly. So it's this excessive expense they expect every radio station to be able to bear. I obviously, I I want musicians to have jobs. That's that's, uh, something I would really like. But the way that he thought it was going to work was just so misguided. And I think he was trying to force something that wasn't going to happen and was kind of like wading against the tide that was coming against him. Ironically enough, he joined the orchestra for WBBM in Chicago, Illinois in 1937. Who's that guy that's off key? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so he's, he's one of those trumpet guys. I'm pretty sure he just plays the, the 135 up and down. You know what the I mean? The conductor's over there pointing right at him, like, lower yeah. down yeah, just no, a little no, bit. No, nope, just, just whatever <laughs> you're doing. A little bit more, a little quiet, bit more. Yeah. Yeah, quiet down, quiet down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not playing anymore. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hear you. Great. It's perfect. Yeah. That's doing good. And uh, this radio station is actually still alive today. I went and looked it up. It's a news station now. They don't actually do anything. I didn't look into the, like what their political leanings or anything, but it's a Chicago news station nowadays. A lot of morning radio and things uh, like okay. that. Probably like a lot of political talk. Yeah, either way. But he was the assistant conductor and orchestra member of up to three uh, Chicago theaters at the time. He was really trying at this point. Like 1937, he is whacking it, trying to be a full-on musician. <laughs> and I don't mean like, I didn't mean that the way it kind of sounded. He's, he's really he's good. whacking it, huh? Okay. Yeah, well, I guess it, he, he probably was. I don't know. We're not, we're not talking about that. What Pat meant to say is he was trying really, really, and maybe even another really hard to be a, a professional musician. In 1940, he became the full-on conductor of WBBM. So, I mean, if you're a conductor, the one thing you could do is count beats because all conductors really do is those weird little hound, handshake forms well, for they, the, they the also, time signatures. They and, also control like the, and make sure everybody's coming in at the right time. Yeah, so, exactly. And, so, they, I'm okay, I wasn't... I'm sorry if I insulted any conductors out there. Please don't send me... Actually, if you're any conductors, please send me emails. Just nice ones, not angry ones. But, <laughs> like, like, really... I don't think conductors are going to listen to this because no, they're going to be like... All they talk about is blues and jazz and folk. What the fuck? Well, and we're probably off rhythm anyways. But <laughs> really, like, if, if you've ever done, like, the most basic, like, conducting, because I did some in, like, school band and things like that, it's all about learning, like, a handshake form for the time signature. Right. And then you, you know, cue in people and you try and accentuate the accentuations and quiet people at the right moments and things like that. And if you guys really don't know what a conductor is, he's the only one not facing the audience. <laughs> he's, he's the dude with the long coattails in the Bugs Bunny <laughs> cartoon. Exactly. Second Bugs Bunny reference, and I haven't even gotten to that portion yet. Three years later, surprisingly enough, he was promoted to a non-musical position at WBBM. He was super... What? Yeah, they, they, didn't, no. they didn't want him on stage anymore. His managing prowess was much more important. So he became the... the sign he, of a true musician. Yeah, he, he supervised all live musician and music in the station. 
which I would assume is at the point where he starts being like, wait a second. We could just put this radio, we could just take this, this record and put it on this thing and play it. And I don't need to be paying you assholes to even be here. And then he's like, wait, that's bad because I'm a musician. I still think I'm going to do it. I would assume is was his mentality. If he's fighting so hard for musicians, I get, I mean, I'm, yeah, me maybe he's just thinking he's fighting for himself when nobody wants to hire him anyway. Yeah, I mean, okay, let's not dig too far into his mentality. Like, it's not fair for us to assume, but... Well, he's the, dead, it's fair. Okay, but at the same time, it is <laughs> kind of fair because the reality of it is this is kind of what happened and this is how the whole thing was all... Like, it, it comes <laughs> out this way. It really, really does. The more you look into it, the more it's like he's kind of throwing a big baby fit and it's just for no fucking reason. Uh, he's he becomes the president, obviously, of the American Federation of Musicians, as mentioned before, in 1940. He lasts in that position till 1958. Okay, so we already had our asshole spotlight out earlier. You're gonna have to bust it out again. Oh, we got another asshole oh, spotlight. It's him. It's him again. Oh uh, well, we're just talking about yeah, the same asshole. It's just, we just turned the intensity up on it. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. So uh, he was. I wish out. I had something to dial up for that. <laughs> the, the ultimate reason for his ousting as president was because segregation became unpopular, and he was so associated with separating black and white unions, uh, very specifically the oh, the local ten and the local two hundred eight white musicians union and a black musicians union and he fought against merging those unions for so long that his name was associated mentally with segregation once again we've covered this before it's a whole different time blah 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 yeah be be sensitive blah 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 but also be intelligent blah 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 so but, fuck this guy but what the fuck <laughs> like your mentality is so associated with being a racist that people are like we don't like racism anymore so we also don't like you anymore All right like it's, it's, <laughs> if you're so ingrained in the basis mentality of people that you have done this you are probably an asshole and you should bask in the, the fine yellow tinted light of the asshole spotlight <laughs> <laughs> somebody should change that gel because it was burned out years ago but Either way. And he, he so he was ousted in 57? 58. 58. Yep. God damn, that is a long time. Yeah, 18 years. 18 years he's the president of that yep. union. Not for nothing, he actually does have a band shell named after him in Chicago's Grant Park. So, you know, it's something. Well, maybe we can get people to protest it and tear it down or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, he was torn down by some of the biggest musicians and famous people in the country during his reign. <laughs> All including, like I've mentioned twice before, Bugs Bunny. Oh, what? In 1950, there's an episode of Bugs Bunny. I think it's episode 82 of these like short series. But it's called Hurdy Gurdy Bunny. Or Hurdy Gurdy Hair. Hurdy Gurdy Hair. Yeah, Hurdy Gurdy Hair. Spelled H-A-R-E? Yeah, like a, like like a, like a rabbit. rabbit. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a pun, too. So well, I, mean, I guess it's not really a pun. It's just Hurdy Gurdy Hair. Because there's no, there's no good pun there. <laughs> Come on, my friend. But the cartoon uh, is essential. I actually watched the whole thing. This was part of my research. I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I believed that watching an entire episode of Bugs Bunny was valid research for oh, this. Oh, man. Your research sounds way more fun than mine. Yeah, so I watched it. <laughs> I had to read through a fucking term paper. <laughs> so essentially, uh, Bugs Bunny's broke, and he's uh, reading a paper. And he's like, shit, how do I make money? And he finds uh, a monkey and a hurdy-gurdy for sale. 
Anyone who has ever seen a herd of Gertie. Oh, herd of Gertie's are awesome. There, or who has not seen a herd of Gertie? I guess is a better thing that well, I should. Well, they c- might not know it by the name, though. Yeah, so it's essentially like a violin that you sit on your lap, and but crank. it's yeah, it's got a crank on one end, and it's inside. Uh, it has a big like a uh, like felt like circle. I guess it would be. It's like a felt wheel. Yeah, and, and the strings are tensed up against the felt wheel, and when you crank the felt wheel, it makes a, and then it's, you press buttons to make chords on it, and it's it's a weirder automatic piano essentially. Oh, yeah. it, I had an auto, <laughs> like like I had a, an auto harp, and it was so cool. But I see a hurdy gurdy, and I'm like, fuck, that's like an auto harp on ultra drugs, and it is great. Like, what the fuck? But yeah, either way, uh, the artist had no fucking idea what a hurdy gurdy was. He drew a giant street organ. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Bugs Bunny ends up going and purchasing a very small monkey in a in a giant green street organ, uh, and then the monkey steals his money, and then he kicks the monkey, and then the monkey goes and gets a gorilla, and then the gorilla comes and beats him up, and then he uses the gorilla for the dance, and then the monkey twists the, the street organ, the gorilla dances. The gorilla starts busting open windows up on the uh, upper stories of the building, and people pay him a lot of money, and babies sleep, and... It's a it's a very weird episode, but really at the end, Bugs Bunny says, I sure hope Petrillo doesn't hear about this. <laughs> and so the whole joke pretty much, and this wasn't, Bugs Bunny did not start this. This whole joke is... Uh, I hope not, he's a cartoon. <laughs> this joke is a running pop culture reference. It goes on through this whole thing. It's like, it's one of the original memes. And I, I the more I look into it, the more I'm sure it was like, they were creative enough to make different jokes, but they just didn't because it was like it was natural memes. Right. And so, uh, you know, in 1947 in a Bob Hope movie, my favorite a Bob who Bob Hope. Oh, Bob Hope. Yeah. I thought you said I thought you said Bob Hoop. <laughs> no, no, not Bob Hoop. If I said Bob Hoop, I'm sorry. It was Bob Hope. But my favorite brunette, he says, why don't you tell Petrillo about it after a night of playing uh, music? <laughs> In 1952, uh, Hope and Crosby do a movie called Road to Bali. As in Bing Crosby? Yes, Bing Crosby. Okay. I would would assume that it was Bing Crosby. Uh, I only have last names here, but uh, I I would assume. Well, I hope it's not the Crosby of Crosby, Stills, and Ash. (laughs) But either way, Hope shows Crosby an instrument, and uh, apparently he's been being a snake charmer all night. And uh, he quips, hey, I've been playing this flute all night, but you have to ask Petrillo. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, it's this big thing where there's, like, Petrillo gates musicians from doing anything. And so there's this big joke over and over again where they're like, oh, Petrillo does... And people wanted music, too. That's the big thing. Well, but on top of that, people wanted music, but people didn't stop. Like, because new music didn't come out, we weren't done. Yeah. People just had the jukeboxes that they had before and just played those records to fucking dust. Oh, yeah. Like a big time. Like they just kept playing them and kept playing them. Like when the strikes were over, there was. Oh, yeah. I got some facts coming up or some, you know, some little fun factoids about that. Oh, sorry. Up. I wasn't trying to step on your toes. No, no, there no, 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 no. Just... And then there's this musical sugar. Where uh, two musicians witnessed the St. Valentine's Massacre. What? No way. Yeah. And then uh, the gangsters issue these instructions to catch them, but they issue it via song. The song is called <laughs> Tear This Town Apart. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I found so many renditions of it. Just, dude, check out this musical if you're into that. Sugar. I mean, you, some of you might know that. I'm not really a big music, musical person. I, I'm pretty, Yeah, me neither. Like, I, I, I like all things, and I, I really enjoyed watching it. It's just not one of my hobbies. 
either way, this song ends with all call Patrillo. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's it, that's the that's the big run of the end Wait, of I'll song. call Patrillo. Yeah. Like, I'll oh. call him like, like oh, you're, you're singing improperly or you're, <laughs> you're doing something illegal. I'm going to call him. <laughs> so it's really it is amazing how much he becomes like this reference to this giant overarching uh, almost running joke of him being an asshole. Yeah, well, it sounds like he kind of became the butt of all the jokes around this time because everybody's like, we just want some music. Yeah, and, and he clearly made it about himself. Like, it's it's obvious from, like, the the historical retrospective yeah. that it was much more about him as a person than And his was, musical struggles. Than it really was about music's, like, music struggles themselves. Right. Like, you know. Which, let's be honest, there's plenty of those, too. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole fucking story, even now to today. Yeah, we'll get a little bit more into that. (laughs) And so getting back to the band, you know, we really got to talk about the record companies that were involved. And so the smaller companies, they didn't have huge stockpiles of unreleased music. So they pretty much gave in real quick. Yeah. The more established companies like the RCA Victor Company or Columbia, you know, they were able to hold out. Good old RCA Victor. Oh, yeah. We mentioned them a couple of times, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> even, even, we've made references to the episode that nobody, nobody will, hear, will ever hear like three times. No, n- not unless we want to just get it pulled off immediately anyway. <laughs> so for whatever reason, nobody really knows. On September 18th, 1948, the DECA president, Jack Knapp, and the AFM president, you know, Petrillo, Oh, Mr. Petrillo. Mr. Petrillo. They uh, reached an, an oral agreement that ended the band for Decca Records. And this was the basic foundation for all the other contracts that they would eventually get the recording companies to sign. So they went, they essentially made each independent company sign like contracts to, with the union. Eventually, yeah, they all got on board. But. Well, I mean, obviously it ended eventually. Right. And so this was kind of the you know, the basic foundation for the the contracts the other companies would sign. And it basically said that the artists would get royalties from a quarter cent per recording sold or up to 35 cents. So <laughs> a quarter cent to 35 cents. Yep. And then they'd get two and a half percent royalty on all records selling for more than $2. So as long as they were selling it for a good price, you know, you had to get royalties on that too. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's just based on whatever they're selling it for pretty much. And among this time, many performers contracts were starting to expire. And instead of signing contracts with companies that couldn't record because they were banned, they would sign with smaller companies or companies like Deco. And so when, so smaller companies kind of got a boon for giving in earlier. Yep. And maybe that's the reason why DECA gave in, too. That that actually makes a lot of sense. That's a smart business move, because then you get back in the game before yep. everyone else. And, you and get the you're first recording, pick. and you get all these musicians who don't have any contracts. Like, hey, you want to record, make some money? Come over here. Yeah, I hope you're ready for this, Ian. It's like the sports ball draft <laughs> when you get there first, but there's nobody else to pick, so you get all the best players, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. That, that, was, a, that was a sports analogy coming in for our new sports podcast. <laughs> It's called the balls in your court. <laughs> <laughs> that is not an actual thing. Please don't go searching for that. At least not yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the big ones, I'd never heard of this guy, but apparently this was a big deal. Jessica Heifetz. Sounds German to me. 
looks no, German no, to me. No, you're going to have to spell that one for me. H-E-I-F-E-T-Z. Heifetz. Heifetz. Mm. Yeah. He left RCA Victor after being signed with them for 25 years and moved to DECA. Yeah, because he wanted to make fucking records, because not making records is stupid. Yeah. You know, that's just like kind of one of the big examples that I found of musicians moving companies. And so apparently it's a big deal. Check this guy out. He uh, plays a violin with an orchestra. If you're into that kind of music, it's pretty cool. So it's actual dude check out this song? I don't have any songs. I just found like clips of him playing live in an orchestra. We may note right now that there's an extreme lack of dude check out this songs, but that's kind of the theme of this yeah, episode, right? The theme they, is there's they, not really there's music no being made. Songs. <laughs> there's no the music isn't being made. Yeah, there's a blank history in our musical history. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's not cool, and we never realized this till we started doing research yeah. for this first season too. Fuck you, Patrillo. Like there's there's a gap in all music right here. If you go. <laughs> <laughs> we, we uh, although we were doing some uh, some research and we were looking through like top se- record selling uh, stuff. And yeah, Bing Crosby guys, that was the one who was like top three, right? Is Bing Crosby? Oh, he made like the top every other song yeah, like, for he, a while. He, he was number one in t- two out of these three years, and one of the years he owned top three. He he was first, second, and third slot. And then eventually, <laughs> uh, one of them has like Woody Guthrie, this land is your land at number five. Boom. Just, just throwing it out there. Giving a little uh, little throw to our <laughs> buddy Woody Guthrie back there. Even before this band, recording companies were making less money basically due to the war. And then in December 1941, there was a shellac shortage. Oh, the old shellac <laughs> shortage. And, you know, that was the main product for making a record. And supplies were cut by 70%. Yeah, well, I mean, what what the fuck do you need shellac for? To make a record. No, I know. <laughs> I mean, but, but this is the, before the band. Oh, this was before, before the band. Before the band in okay. 1941. Oh, that sucks. And so... So uh, that doesn't help either. No. And so, you know, they were already having a hard time. So that... Okay, so, at, so we're starting to... If you think about it, that starts to track some of the, like, intonations. Like, with the year leading up, the shellac uh, shortage had raised costs for people who were recording records, which would mean they would cut the costs in the other locations, namely musicians and things like that. So they were probably making less money and starting to see, like, kind of the the writing on the wall as it was. And and then even in 1943, companies were operating on 20% of the amounts of shellac they'd used in 1942. So there was even more of a cut in 1943 during the band. Yeah, so by the end, there's like no shellac used versus, you know, just 10 years before where they were using truckloads. Well, and because of the shellac shortage and the band, many of the record companies started deleting music they had from their catalogs. Yep, once again, blank spot in fucking history, Patrillo. This is on you, dude. There's a lot of music that got recorded that never got released. Yeah, exactly. So this is 100% on you, bro. Asshole spotlight is intensifying. I'm, I'm, I'm giving another 10 watts, you know what I mean? But despite the shortage, you know, people wanted to listen to music. They Everybody were, wants to listen to music, always. Yeah, they were eager to buy anything they could, including stockpiled and unsold records. Any record made from old masters, they would buy up anything. Newsweek even had an article that said, any news release sells. And a flop is almost unheard of. Yep. And okay, so this is one really cool thing that emerges from this. And this is one of the biggest positives in my vision. The B-sides. 
All the right. B-sides start getting so much more play. So anything that was coin-operated, people thought that, like, you know, jukebox. Yeah. They thought that the jukebox would die because of this band. Well, really, people just paid more money into the jukeboxes, and they would wear out those fucking records. You've heard all the front sides. So oh, yeah. Times. That you, was considered you, you the hit. over, man. That was considered the hit sides, yeah. you know, the songs that would play on the radio and whatever. But then you got the flip side. And those were starting to wear out too, which is where that I was catching on the flip side sort of situation comes from. That's that. That's is, the that's the reference. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, that is that is where that originates from. <laughs> At least as far as I could ever find. If it if it comes from some old English knightly term, please somebody hit me up in the emails. But I'm pretty sure that is the origination of it, as far as I can. And to me, that's actually a good thing because. You get people listening to more than just one song, you know, listening to the hit song, quote unquote, well, exactly. and then that's... the other song that probably is more liked by the artist anyway. And I think that's probably that seed of the, I like the B-side, man. Like, I've listened to oh, this album God. so many times. I like the B-side. Everybody like, knows that guy, yeah, too. Yeah, you know, there's a negative intonation in, in our, like, society because we've all met that guy who only <laughs> likes the, the rarest song. I may the, or may have not been that guy at times. Yeah. And, and may or may not still be that guy at yeah, times. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, with certain <laughs> bands, I think I feel probably like i'm probably still that guy but well, with certain bands you listen to they just are the b-side of everything they make yeah we're not talking about dude check out my weird obscure music <laughs> but uh like you start to think about it that way like the b-side becomes more popular they wear out that other side well pat let's just talk about how this band also affected the sale of sheet music oh yeah and Sheet music, so, like, people bought sheet music. Yeah, That's something but we forget. It was typically, like, a Christmas thing. So, you know, there was always the usual sheet music slump after Christmas. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the sheet music slump, of course. Yeah, everybody's heard of that. I write on that every day. And apparently people were just like, oh, so we can't buy the records we want at a cost we can pay for them? We'll just buy sheet music and play it for ourselves. God, could you imagine, like... So you, maybe, you can't get Metallica, so you, you go ahead and buy the sheet music for Metallica and learn all well, the... Well, it would be tabs, but yeah. Uh, yeah, well, there's maybe sheet music. I'm sure you, there's sheet music There somewhere. is, but no no guitar, no real guitar player, or <laughs> very few guitar players know how to read sheet music. Which, I mean, is a little sad, but I guess that's kind of like a context medium thing where uh, well, it's, it's not necessary for guitar players to learn. There's that. also things in, ta- in uh, sheet music that they can't really scribe to what some of the things guitars can do too. Yeah. Well, in the same time, tabs don't cover the same thing that all the sheet music does. Right. So. Well, yeah, they don't cover the tempo. So you really got to know the song. Yeah, exactly. So it brought, it, it kind of piggybacks on the digital uh, mentality there where you have to, be able to <laughs> listen to the song and, and relearn it or teach yourself or write it in front of you. you well, know? right. And so anyway, I just think maybe that was one not asshole spotlight. For Petrillo was, you know, people were like, I just want to listen to music, but since you won't let me, I'm just going to start playing it. And so maybe more people became musicians out of this. Yeah, but I don't think that takes asshole spotlight. He's just the villain I don't in the think situation. It, I don't think it takes away, but it, maybe there was one little okay, tiny yeah. little but, kernel of uh, okay. hope there. All right, I'll, I'll live with I'll, the one tiny kernel. And so even with all this, the public just wanted records. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the reality. Is nobody gives a fuck about well, the politics at the end. They of the wanted day. We it. Want music. They wanted it so bad. A black market started because of this. Oh, the old bootleg <laughs> record. Oh yeah, the old bootleg record. 
And so, like, people would just buy it wherever they could find it. And so all these bootleg records suddenly appeared, and people didn't care. They just bought records wherever they could find them and didn't even ask where the records came from. I mean, really? And so a lot of, you know, even then, so records were being sold, and musicians weren't making money from it anyway. Huh. That sounds familiar. There's that kernel we just added. We're taking it back. (laughs) Yep, and we're getting to that even more in a minute. (laughs) And so... I don't have much left on my notes, but I got a couple of interesting facts about this whole thing. So Petrillo had ruled that the harmonica was not a musical instrument and was therefore not prohibited from being recorded. And so this gave rise to harmonica bands such as the Harmonicats. Oh, the Harmonicats? <laughs> that sounds salty. <laughs> They're like the Stray Cats with harmonicas. Oh, my God. <laughs> I play harmonica, and that sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> that just doesn't even sound fun. It was, I've heard some of these recordings. They were uh, interesting. Not something I would purposely look out, though. Yeah, not, not something you could you jam driving what? down the street with, like, full volume. It was pretty interesting to hear how they did the bass runs on the harmonica and stuff. And they set it up like a regular band with, like, three harmonicas. But it was just... So I mean, they, they had kind of the bass and the treble and yeah. the, the lead. That's yeah. that's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool, but it's just three harmonicas. I don't yeah, know if I, I can mean, listen you, to that all. You can't it, make it that cool. There's no, <laughs> there's no upper limit to the, the harmonica music. I'm, don't get me wrong. I play harmonica. I'm sure there's great harmonica players. We all know about, you know, Lee Oscar and all the great harmonica greats. But, dude. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just three harmonicas, no guitars or anything. Yeah, Yeah. it's not good. That's like Woody Guthrie who just sang and played harmonica, didn't have a guitar (laughs) with him. (laughs) Or some of that mid Bob Dylan stuff, you know what I mean? Like where you're just like you turn the song down halfway through. Like how do we right, bring up Bob Dylan every I know, episode? I know it's, people we, think we hate him. We actually like a lot of his music. We wouldn't be able to make these references if we didn't know enough of his music, but we know it enough to be like, shit, that fucking harmonica needs to be turned down in the monitor. What the <laughs> hell is going on? Slow train coming, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Or John Wesley Harding, yeah. maybe? Or, or like 30% of his music. <laughs> well, and so the last little fun fact I got is, we mentioned this a little bit, but there might have been kind of a war going on this whole time. Yeah, I, I like don't know. I don't, one, what's like, the name of that war? WW2? <laughs> yeah. <we're>... <laughs> <laughs> w? WW2. Yep, exactly. So either way, yeah, World War II is going on. That kind of is a big deal. It is. And so there were actual recordings going on, but only for things called victory discs. Oh, the victory discs. Victory discs. And they were recorded only for soldiers fighting in the war. And they sent them overseas. So arguably, now that I think about it, those World War II soldiers sitting in the pits in like France and wherever they might have been fighting, they're listening to music that would never be heard again. Maybe. I bet you there's some collectors who have some of those nowadays. Yeah, oh, I'm sure there absolutely is, but I'm sure it just the same amount was been missing and lost, and that, well, is, that is actually really cool. Well, they also probably earned the right to be able to listen to unreleased oh. music that no other American could listen to in America. Absolutely. I, I mean, <laughs> honestly, if you're you know, if you're going to fight a war And it probably war, wasn't like in the trench. Too. It was probably, you know, when they were on leave from 
actually being in Let action. me have my fantasy. <laughs> they're, 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 they're cranking the fucking... The, 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 that would be terrible. <laughs> we gotta be quiet. The enemy's around here somewhere. And then you just hear some music cascading up for no... <laughs> and then the Germans are like, we hear them! <laughs> Whatever. You know the Germans were blasting polka on the other side, too. I don't think the Germans listen to music at this time. I don't know. They definitely at least listen to... I, uh, they listen to classical. We know that. So, we, Mr. Petrillo, he's all lit up in the asshole spotlight, <laughs> team in yellow at this point. He ain't done. Even though the strike's what? over. He ain't done. No. So, at the stroke of midnight on 1947, turning into 1948, this motherfucker runs it back. Petrillo does it again. He does it again. Does it again. Of course he does. He didn't learn his goddamn lesson the first time. Not enough ego stroke yep, in the first he, time. He wants, he wants his national recognition, of course. Mm. So, once again, all musicians stop. And this one lasts 11 months. Well, that's not as long as the first time. No, not at all. Not at all. But uh, his demands this time is slightly ridiculous, but slightly understandable, and also kind of will hurt your feelings. Okay. So, he he gets together with everybody, and their demands are that they're going to start a fund that all the record companies have to pay into the percentage of their profits into, and it is going to pay unemployed musicians. This means members of the union who are unemployed and cannot make enough money to make a living as a musician will be paid out of this fund. Aren't all musicians technically unemployed until they start making money playing live? So this makes no fucking sense (laughs) to us as as modern musicians because, goddamn, if you didn't make money playing music, you got a real fucking job. Or you just did work to support your tours. Yeah, and so this is where we really land on this fucking crossroads for music where it seems like Petrillo had almost a good idea. He had something in his heart. He wanted every musician to be able to do it as a job. Oh, that's great. That, that is that great. That sounds great anyway. It sounds really great, except for people want to do stuff that they're not good at. And we shouldn't pay people to do stuff they're not good <laughs> at. You know. Well, you do got to practice a couple of times. Yeah, you, gotta, you really got to get down on it. You know, like, being a musician is tough. It's a lot of practice for not a lot of payoff. And, it really is. And, and you're going to spend more money before you ever make any. <laughs> yeah, and the, well, especially nowadays. Well, it, so, anything involving gear anyway. Yeah, and so it really looked like back then they there was so much more live performances every single night. So many things were constantly, you know, like so many restaurants and things like that were constantly having musicians. Right. And so many clubs were always having musicians. It's just a happening time. It, yes, but, but not just a happening time. It's a viable job. Every like you could be a musician and work a club every night and get enough. You could have seven clubs per week you know what i mean yeah you could do it and that's what patrillo saw and that's not necessarily a bad thing and that could be cool by no, all that's means. a great thing great thing i would love if every musician in the world could go to a different restaurant every night and get paid to play oh that's, man that's how, that's how fucking awesome utopia would that, how awesome would that be if people showed up on a wednesday night to go see you play yeah no exactly and that's that's the reality of it but the you know what the real reality of it is what technology you can't outrun the creation of new technology well, yeah, we're learning that nowadays, yeah, too. Yeah, we're, we're, we're learning it real, and we'll get into that in the final thoughts. But, yeah, so uh, to quote the Wall Street Journal, Ooh. they wrote an article about this. And I don't quote a lot of people, but I'll quote the Wall Street Journal. They said, for decades leading up to the 48 ban, the union had been waging a bitter battle with technology. 
And that's the reality of it is you're trying to fight well, and this the is, change of, of the of existence. This you is know? 48, too. I mean, this is right before, like, things started changing in the studio and technology got better and they started recording differently, yeah, too. Yeah, we'd have the electric to get different, in a few years. Well, yeah, and then, like, you know, where they would do things where they'd set a mic down the hall to get, like, reverb effects and stuff like that. Yeah, like, multiple mics, multiple setups. I mean, like technology is the reason why we got music today. I mean... If they're so, fighting against that, it almost sounds like they're fighting against the evolution of music. Yeah, they're fighting exactly. So it becomes this duality where, like, you understand, like, as a musician, that that's ideal. Like, I play accordion. I would love for somebody to pay me to play accordion randomly in random spots every single night. And I know some of you were saying, yeah, you definitely can do that. But in reality, it's a lot of work to get it, to that point. It's not. Yeah. And it's still not viable. I know many musicians who are able to play multiple times a week and they are still like, you know, barely minimum wage jobs oh yeah it's a tough tough way to try and make a living and so that's actually where it comes down to is what what ended up happened was Petrillo was fighting for this world where musicianship was going to be a minimum wage low income job that a lot of people could do where technology was fighting for it to be a much smaller majority of people making much better music at a much higher pay technology unlocked such a massive pay scale for musicians that nobody had ever seen before. Once you were able to sell records and make a certain amount off each record that you sold, and then it went from America to Europe to other places, it started to become a a world that no other musician with a fucking hat or a box could ever wish for. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And then it gets even worse because the fucking record companies, just like before, they got tactical acumen. They're ready for this bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> 11 months Petrillo takes this band and he marches it around and you know everybody's like oh my god he's doing it again blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> wait he takes a band and he's marching around the band not band oh the band <laughs> yes but you know what I mean he's rubbing it in everyone's face it's the 48 record band right. we're really gonna get this this fun for Bugs for Bunny's un- making fun yeah, of him for again. unemployed <laughs> musicians yeah exactly Bob Hope and Bugs Bunny are ripping on this dude like moths from the cocoon the record companies emerge stronger than ever. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Emerging from the 48 band comes the 33 and a third rotations per minute oh. vinyl LP. Since they weren't having 11 months of recording to do, the record companies dumped their money into a brand new format. You guys oh, might know this is the thank album. Thank you, the band. Some of you might have collections. Some of you might remember Grandma having these, all these things. The record companies were ready. With the 33 and a third revolutions per minute, it took that three minutes of playtime of the previous and pumped it up to 15 minutes aside. Hell yeah. Now we're having a whole album on there rather than a song or two where you're going to have to buy like a gajillion records just to have a few songs. You're you're really 15 minutes aside. You could actually like put a, a lot of content on yeah. there compared to the time before. That's an I mean, album. You're getting a song on each yeah. side. Yeah, exactly. So rather than a short song on each side, we're talking about an album. And there would be no, you know, 20 minute solos without this creation. And RCA, they see this album come out. They're not involved in it. They have that same thing. Just a few years later, they released their counter it, the 45. Oh. Anybody who's like a record connoisseur, there's there's the 33 and a third and there's the 45. 33 and a third has a longer runtime and is larger and is way more popular with older people because they like full albums and orchestra stuff. Yep. 
But that 45 becomes popular with the teens. Oh, yeah. 1949, 1950, the 45 mm, starts to... We're getting into the evolution of music uh, right yeah. here. And and so I won't get too far into it because a lot of really cool stuff happens right here. And I'm trying and to... I mean, I'm trying to we I, we want to talk about what happens in this era yeah, we extensively, wa- like do a whole season covering it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm trying to not step over my bounds on this portion, but... Oh, it's it, the 45 teens laying on their stomachs in their rooms with a little crank record. They could save up enough they money. They still had crank records back then? Well, the the 45s did because kids had that stuff. Oh, like the okay. Children still had things right. like that. So. Well, and the crank record was marketed as a children's toy, too. That's yeah, funny. Exactly. So but, I mean, that was in the teens and 20s. Yeah, because I've even seen 45 like record players that children had from like mid-50s that were still crank-operated. But they weren't like, you didn't have to constantly crank it. You just like wound it up like a me- oh, music box, essentially. Okay, it, it ran off a spring. And yeah, so you got, that, exactly. Yeah, okay, gotcha. So, because I was just imagining cranking it really fast and hearing everything in chipmunks. <laughs> yeah, no. So this is this is not what you would think about like the classic crank records. It is literally a child's toy. But forty fives could play on child's toys, which it was a whole new world because babysitters making a couple cents a week could fucking have forty fives. They could Hell afford that yeah. shit, and so that allowed kids to have a market share. Not really kids, but, you know, early teens. Young people. Young people to have a market share. And that's really the first start where this youth music, like, acceleration kicks on again. Right. After, after the the few times that it really splashed up in the early 1900s. And it leads to American Graffiti. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen that movie? We're only a few years before that movie at this point. And dude, check out that incredible. movie. Yeah, dude, check out this movie if you haven't. But either way, like I said, it's, it's the way more economical or, or, uh, option, and these formats fucking dominate. Oh, yeah. Even though the fact that radios would go back to playing the old 78s after the band comes off. Right. Excuse me, radio stations would go back to playing the 78s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so right away, they would go back to their old habits. Pretty soon, almost every radio station would switch over to the 45 because of how cheap and easy it was to produce and obtain and how like easily acceptable they were. And right. The fact that they had the same uh, hole size as the LP. So oh, that's, yeah. That's apparently the big difference is the LP and the 45 had the same hole size. So oh, they, it was okay. able to be played on the so same can, record player. Right. You just yeah. got to adjust the arm differently. Yeah, exactly. So anybody who's ever had a record player knows it has that little switch with the 33 and a third to the yep. 45. That's, you can still even get 78s nowadays, too. Oh, I'm sure you can. Like 78s are probably still totally a thing, probably for, you know, collectors. Collectors. Purposes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, the strike's over now. 11 months. Did yeah. anything change? Well, the, the, the union got their Other technical than the victory. Record. Yeah. <laughs> the, the union got a technical knockout. So, so <laughs> back to sports ball references. When the boxing man punches somebody and the referee says he can't fight anymore, that's a technical knockout. <laughs> I'm going to give these guys a technical knockout because the record companies are like, yeah, you can have your, uh, your fund. But it's going to be contained and operated by an independent entity. So they got the fund for the musicians, and it was uh, it was controlled by somebody else. And it's obviously so impactful that all of us unemployed musicians today are receiving our checks. If you're not receiving your check from this, obviously, no, none of us have any idea about what this is. Yeah. It's, it did not last. It was nothing. <laughs> it's gone to the annals of time, and it is nothing but a footnote on this fucking page at the end of my notes. And you did not win anything. 
And the worst part is, in reality, Petrillo, all he did was give the record companies time to adapt to technology. He tried to avoid losing a whole bunch of small jobs, which I get. And that's a good, like, that's a good thing. That's an honorable, honorable thought process. But I think he might have just, I don't mean to be insulting. I just don't think he had the the tact, the mental Escape. capacity yeah, like <laughs> i don't think he actually understood what was going on the fact that he couldn't comprehend like you watch him play with truman okay the trumpet's not the easiest instrument in the world but it is by far not the hardest instrument in the world but he's not even keeping beat like neither of them are and it is a catastrophe and i yeah like i get it i've been there I've had five drinks and then got on stage <laughs> when I wasn't supposed to and had the... Uh, I the, think every musician yeah, has got to we, that point. We've been there. But there's no way you do that at a presidential rally. You play your best, right? Yeah, you'd hope so. You would think so. I mean, honestly, if there's one thought for him that's true, and one thing that he was right about, is technology 100% did evolve. Oh, yeah. It was evolving, and it was going to highly affect musicians from this point on. It was going to change the way that musicians were forever. Oh, yeah. But the reality is you can't fight that change. Oh, no. I mean, the change is also part of the reason why we have so many spectacular albums nowadays. Yeah, exactly. If it wasn't for the access that we not only restricted, but also gave, it's a strange, like, biomic thing where we gated the worst musicians out, but really made the best musicians of the world have something to work for. Right. I mean, that's always been kind of the struggle of the, you know, the whole starving musician thing. You know, it seems hard to try and pay every musician because there's not a good solution to it. Well, let's be honest. If a musicianship was like, even if you can't work as a musician, you still get paid. Everybody's going to do it because it is the best option. Right. I don't know if we would get some of the albums we got. We wouldn't because it w- nobody would make enough money. So, sometimes some of the best albums were made off of desperation. Well, exactly. And so that's that's where we get to that flip side that we talked about earlier. Dude, check out this B-side. Yeah, dude, check out this flip side. <laughs> Either way, uh, it's a hard situation. It's hard to determine whether like one way is better or the other. Like, Of course, right. it would be nice if... It's not even viable today, so it's it's kind of stupid. So we see in hindsight what is the better option. Right. We know that what we went with was the better option just because of the way technology evolved. Well, and it also allowed for at least some musicians to get paid a massive amount of money. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, I may not I may not agree with like the superstar rock star mentality about a lot of things, and like how we focus on like iconicizing certain people rather than focusing on the the quality of music. I have issues with that. <laughs> that's but that's a whole nother that is episode a, that topic. Is a, right that is a there. whole nother thing. <laughs> that sounds like your old man. Like I'm not trying to talk shit about new music yet <laughs> well it's not even new music because this has been happening since this is this started oh. in the 50s so it's, oh well i mean they they have, they have a study where they could literally tell you the most popular chord changes in music too. well exactly so there there's but you know and then we, we get to that duality of of the music theory portion that i'm gonna i'll, I'll skip draining through all of that with the, uh, <laughs> the audience here but it, this really leads me into my final thoughts this was a hard thing this really was like yeah. uh, Petrillo while lit up all crimson and gold in his piss colored spotlight. Also right being now. an asshole. Just yeah. Horrible. Just, asshole. Just, if you're associated with racism, 
you know, we've dealt with so much of it this season that I'm, I I don't care. You get lit up with the asshole spotlight just a little for just being a racist fuck, no matter what. At least a little. Just a little. I'm going to be understanding of, you know, historical connotations and what it is, but Right, at the same but you time, also got to look at the, t- I mean, the times they were changing then when he got fired, too. Yeah, because it had become unpopular. That meant a lot of people had changed their mind already, and he was not with that. So, you know, with the racism portion aside, he really did try to do better for musicians. He did try. And whether we want to take the interpretation as him uh, doing only for himself, because it kind of did seem like he was a failing musician, and a lot of what he did came from the fact that he couldn't do good music himself, that he decided to, you know, be in control. It kind of does come down to a... It feels like a control grab slash, you know, like, I want to be a domineering, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It becomes a very weird kind of mentality, and the fact that we become nationally famous about it distorts our perspective on it, so it's hard for us to see the truth about it. But it just, it seemed like there was some selfish reasons for him doing this, and he really didn't get any good deals out of it. No, like I said, the 48 band, what he got out of it was like, okay, here's your booby prize. I mean, well, right, and he definitely was altruistic with it, where, you know, he was, like, trying to get every musician paid. Which is great. I I love that. It's a great thing, but it's also, like, when you go see a band live nowadays at a bar, you know, you pay the fee at the door because that's what they make. Other than maybe the kind of merch you would buy, you know. So, I mean, there's, you know, you got to be able to earn a way into a living, it seems like. Yeah, but could you imagine a world where you walked into, like, a pizza place and just literally any guy who had a guitar in the neighborhood was playing in there? Like, I don't want, like, I... I, You got to earn your chops. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I don't want to be expected to pay a cover to get into every place so that this dude can have a living, but because he's... He's not good enough to play anywhere else. He's playing in, you know, some dive bar. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, the people in dive bars now are bad enough. Right. Well, it, and they're the people who are I mean, who some, are struggling through it, but still doing it. You know what I mean? And then th- that's the other side is there's some amazing musicians that I know that can just outshred any of the popular musicians nowadays, and they might not ever make it. They might not ever make a living off this. So, mm-hmm. you know, I. I feel for those guys, you know, but they also put time in. It's so hard. Well, and then it, it comes down to like what we have nowadays where it's kind of a reverb. We are living in a reverb of what's yeah. happening now. And it's we just, won't have a music band because it's not viable. But like, you know, you have these musical distribution services online. No names be named. Uh, <laughs> they take so much and they give so little. Oh, yeah. Like, so I take guitar lessons and... My instructor, we and him were talking about one of these, and one of his bands, they got 100,000 plays, and they were paid $3 for that. That is asinine. So that, so, that, so that's the I other guar- end of the spectrum. I guarantee you that recording that they paid for cost minimum $3,000, just based on the time he said they were in the studio. Yeah, no. Minimum exactly. 3000 and to get $3 for that just feels so insulting. Yeah, I know. It definitely does. And then it comes down to, obviously, they think that you're not, you're supposed to just do it, like, spread out a bunch of kids, a bunch of mediums, and, and sell records, and do this, and do that, and do this, and, well, and, and stack and that, these and that's thousands where, of monetary layers. And that's but, where touring comes in nowadays, mm-hmm. because you have to sell your own t-shirts, and hats, and fanny packs, and yeah. whatever whatever else you can get people to buy, and which is great, but... Now also the record companies are starving for money and because they have contacts, they're starting to take percentages 
of the one thing bands can control the money of. You know, they're taking cuts of their merchandise. Oh, it's it's tough to be a musician at the moment. Yeah, and there's that once again that gate. We we're talking about that gated community that was, you know, both good and bad for the situation all at once. And yeah. now we're while it was good at the time has reverbed back to bad. It's that rubber band effect where where we flip back and forth to where, you know, I hesitate to say, but we need a, a better Petrillo. We need another <laughs> Petrillo and you know, you can't ban music. It's, right? it's not gonna be a Petrillo. It's gonna be pop stars basically refusing to have their music streamed without everybody else getting paid the proper amounts that they want. Or maybe it's going to be the fact that we can spread all of our uh, beautiful art to everybody else for uh, with minimal or minimal middleman now via like internet and other mediums. There are like, and this is, I'm thinking specifically like black metal bands and stuff like that, but there are like, black metal guys who will sell like individual like singles and stuff like that for ridiculous amounts of money, but they're making a living off of it. So there are other avenues. It's just, yeah. Well, I, I I know a particular friend of mine uh, has a very favorite band on the other side of the country that is not famous enough to have national recognition that he paid $80 for a vinyl and like, just, you know, played the vinyl to death. And now he's, you know what I mean? Like, it's not reobtainable. There's no way to get it again. Like, you know? oh man, they don't even have any digital. Yeah, stuff. no, it's it's Ooh, just it was just the tough. it was just the one time one. You know, and, the, and so that's lost. That's once again like that's the opposite side of it. We're yeah. not. It's not a recording ban. It's not an access to widely. You know what I mean? Like, of course, now we have digital recordings and things like that. And that's, oh, yeah. that's going to be great. Like, that's we're going to be able to log music forever now. There's hopefully, those, well, well, hopefully, I. Yeah, I, I can't speak for the future. You never yeah, know. There's going to be some weird digital decay we, the over su- centuries the sun or something. The sun could have some weird spike and destroys every uh, electronic <laughs> device, uh, every hard drive in the world, and then we lost everything that's not on a vinyl or CD. Yeah, well, uh, let's, <laughs> well let's hope that doesn't happen. But uh, <laughs> if we stay along the arc we have, I think technology is really going to help us rubber band back. I think we've hit that far end. I think the fact that we are paying some people way, 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 way too much without any sort of talent for them to be back just because they're backed by marketing is that tipping point. I think that's the end of it, and we're going to go back. And now it's it's time for widely open music that you can make access to over you know whatever our digital mediums may be to make a bigger comeback. And I don't think... You know, maybe we don't need giant record companies anymore. Or, I don't know. I don't think so. Not anymore. At least not giant ones. Yeah, but and it's not to say that, you know, record... You almost can't even find small ones anymore, yeah. though, which is the disappointing part. And I'm not saying everybody has to be self-produced. I'm not saying, you know, break apart the big companies, hoorah, hoorah, or anything stupid like that. What I'm really saying is it's time for a new era. You know what I mean? It's, oh, it, yeah, definitely. We're stepping into a whole new era of music where people can get together from other sides of the country, other sides of the world. There's websites on the internet where people are playing music together, doing you know layered recordings from different places in the world, oh, yeah. never having met each other. Yeah. And they're really creating great music, and it's something that could have never been done before in history. And I, I think that technology should facilitate even wider sharing of you know musicians that truly deserve it. Well, it sounds like the whole conclusion for this episode really is if you can afford it, just please pay musicians. They they deserve it. Yeah, no. They, I, they work hard. 
pay the musicians who deserve it. Yeah. If you like them, you know, try and find a way to buy a t-shirt or buy an album and then download it, get it for free digitally or something. So just something to give them, you know, throw them some bucks. Cause you know, I mean, we got to support music. Music is awesome. We all love music. Yeah. And this doesn't just mean like big people who are playing on like, you know, the radio and stuff like this. This means the people who, despite the fact there is no fun to pay their unemployment, are still out there in the pizza places and the other random the small establishments yeah. pounding out a guitar in the corner because we all have been there. If, oh, yeah. Like, as musicians, we've all been there in a dank bar with, you know, four people and we're playing, you know, play three hours for drinks. <laughs> you playing in front of the other band. Yeah, exactly. The other, yeah, just all the other bands waiting in rotation to watch each other play. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, you've been to those horrible, horrible events and those are the people, like, going out and really, you know, putting themselves out for it. And there is no insurance for that. There is no backup. That's just the way it is. Like, yep. give love to the ones who deserve it. You know, the ones who are bad, let them go. It is what it is. You know what I mean? So seriously, guys, I want to thank everybody who spent time listening to our podcast. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I mean, so this is our first podcast ever. First time that Ian and I have ever tried to actually crack into this. And really what we need to explain is why we're splitting it in two seasons. And at the beginning, we didn't really know what we're getting into. We didn't know how to do this. We or just, what we were doing. No, we did not know what we were doing. I mean, it might we show. Def- I hope. We, I hope it. Sh- I hope I th- we're better th- than we were. But in the I beginning. think it, our, our improvement definitely showed though through this whole first season. But a big reason why we're doing seasons is one: we both work full time, and to take the time away from our lives to have to do all the research and to get together and talk about it. You know, it takes a lot of time. And so it was a lot know, more than I was expecting yes. in the beginning, but honestly, and it's been gratifying. I've really it, loved it. It's been bringing... a lot of fun, but now we can take a little bit of time to start planning these seasons out. You know, we want to do deeper research. We, we really want to do, deep, do yeah. themes. We want to, we want to step up our game a little and, bit. You know, we've already been looking into some artists that even though we've talked about a lot of us, we didn't know anything about, you know, if they were at least about music we knew about, you know, some of these that we got coming up, you know, I don't know anything about bebop. We got a guy who basically invented bebop coming up next season. Yeah, no. And, and so now so I got interesting. Yeah, so now we got to look into bebop, which actually ties into this episode because bebop was affected by the band. Yeah, of course. Which I didn't know about until um, we started doing this research, which led me to discover this guy we're going to talk about next season. Yeah, because Bebop uh, got a false start, pretty much. Well, basically, Bebop was invented in 42, but they couldn't record it in any of it. Well, they they recorded it, but they couldn't give it to anybody, was essentially the thing. And so, you know, they have this secret cache of music that was just hidden. And so, for this reason, you know, that's why we're doing seasons. We're not going to take a year off. You know, we're going to take you know, two months off, maybe probably more like a month. Yeah. Honestly, let's just give us a little breather. Let us plan this out. We can, we can do our research and, you know, just give you a even better quality second season. Yeah. Cause honestly, that's what we really want to do. We're, we're here about, we want to bring you guys the best entertainment you can. We want to bring, you know, whatever we can about the best music subjects. We want you guys to enjoy listening to our stuff. Yeah, exactly. And we want to show that we're improving at what we're doing Mm -hmm. and we feel the best way to do that is to give us a little bit of time so we can research it more. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I I want everybody to try their best to forgive us for any like weaknesses in this first season. It, it, we know it's going to be, there's, there's, we, we know there was some errors let us know. We will. Yeah, we, you know, we don't mind. Hit yeah. us up. Like, seriously, we're, we're not shy. Please hit us up yeah. on whatever mediums we, you can find. That's and... only going to make us better, too. 
And so, like, you know, we really do enjoy what we're doing. And you actually don't have to wait for the season two of Do Check Out the Song. We got some little surprise episodes that we got planned for while we're working on the next season. Yeah, we got some we got some live interviews with some local musicians that we're going to get into. And uh, we're we don't want to give too much away. We're going to release them uh, during our break here, as well as uh, we're going to do a little uh, little other podcast that you will also be able to find in the link on the description here. Yep. And so with that being said, thank you for listening to Dude Check Out This Song. Thank you for listening to Season 1 of Dude Check Out This Season Song. Season 1 of Dude Check Out This Song. We love you all, and uh, you guys are awesome, and we'll see you next season.